This morning, I want to explore uh, Paul's passage. So if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn in them to 1 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter. Um, and really, what, what I want to say today, I mean, this is a really incredible passage in 30 minutes. Can't do justice to all that's in it. But one of the things I just want to convey is to think of ourselves as spiritual. I want us to know ourselves as spiritual people. It's the focal point of what I want to say this morning, understand what that means, and to really welcome the interaction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think many of us, myself included, are uncomfortable or can be with the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if we're not diligent on it, we can think of ourselves as something other than spiritual, and we can quench the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I just want us to acclimate to that truth that we are spiritual people and that the Holy Spirit is active within us. Now, Paul says um, early on in chapter 2, I decided to know nothing except the Messiah Jesus and him crucified. Well, this is a great contradiction to the proclivities of his time and culture and certainly to ours as well, to know nothing and to know a crucified Messiah, two strikes against the cultural proclivities of his, his time and ours. In fact, it's, it's, it's a contradiction to many times and cultures. Now, we're shaped by our culture so strongly to understand what's important. Our culture, in part, tells us what's important, what's valuable, what's praiseworthy, what's shameful. So much of what we want what we avoid, what we desire, what we fear, what we expect out of life comes to us by way of the people who we're a part of. Our people tell us these things. The data that we perceive takes its shape into a meaningful and coherent picture in a large part through the lenses of our culture, and that has a significant impact in how we act. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's the way God structured the creation. Our cultures are important. Cultures are part of the creation, an expression of human vitality, a context for our stewardship and for our worship. As Steve emphasized last week or the week before, I can't remember which, Jesus taught us that it is into this world that the kingdom of heaven breaks in. Jesus became flesh here as a Jewish man a very specific culture and unique in the sense that God himself shaped that Jewish culture. So culture is important. But Paul's decision to know nothing but a crucified Messiah tells us that cultures are broken vessels. On their own, they import at best a partial wisdom and corruption at their worst. So in short, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church itself under a kind of self-imposed duress. They're dysfunctional, to use a modern word. And Paul is bringing a word of correction into the Corinthian congregation that is meant to address the source of their trouble. They are moving in the wrong direction, and they're experiencing trouble that comes along with it, kind of trouble of their own making. So 
Paul has said, I don't want to know anything except this, a crucified Messiah. And I think in chapter two, Paul is describing now the source of that knowledge. This is a very important question to ask. What's the source of Paul's knowledge? It's very important because Paul goes to great lengths to clarify that his knowledge is not a result of wisdom that can be acquired by natural effort. That's actually quite a strong statement. Now, I live every day with a student of St. John's College whose effort is to read the great works of the Western tradition. It's magnificent. I confess to you a great deal of covetousness over this program, so I'm, that's my confession for the day. <laughs> it's rich. One thing that strikes me is the amount of effort that human beings have taken to understand the world around them. It's vigorous and enduring. And what strikes me about it, when I'm seeing it again through Michael's eyes and just kind of experiencing a little bit of it again in its breadth and its depth, is its inability on its own to make conclusions that are enduring. We've come to some new knowledge through philosophical inquiry, but we have not solved the problem. That strikes me, and it's vivid to me, and Paul says that the kind of knowledge he's talking about can't be acquired even by the best efforts. He says that gospel knowledge is not of this age. It's not from the spirit of this world. It's not taught by human wisdom, not understood by the natural man. It doesn't rest on the rulers of this world. These are all quotes from Paul. You know, he's, he's multiplying these quotes to show that it, the knowledge of the gospel doesn't come from there. Paul tells the Corinthian church that their assessment of him, which has been kind of negative, their assessment of him and his message is based on the wrong sources. They draw the right conclusion if they start from the right premises. Yes, his not, he's not effective in rhetorical power. He doesn't wow them, right? And they're right. But what he's saying is that you're starting from the wrong point. Now, he doesn't simply say that the Corinthian church must think differently. That actually wouldn't really be much of a change. Everybody's thinking. Everybody's thinking in some ways. And he doesn't just say, think differently. He says, you are different. And what's different about you, that's what's important. It's a subtle change. It's a subtle distinction. He doesn't just say, think different thoughts. That's not the correction of the problem. Of course, what they think is really important. So I'm not diminishing that at all. He saves to know nothing but Messiah and him crucified. But what Paul is saying in his correction to the Corinthians isn't just that. It's that he wants to remind them that they are different. Paul says that knowledge is not only the outcome of disciplined thinking, nor built on the structures of social authority or hierarchies, but rather it's the result of a new relationship. That's what's different, specifically. 
a relationship with the Holy Spirit, or I'll use Paul's term in, in 2 Corinthians 2, the Spirit of God. God's Spirit. It is in and through that relationship that the content and the experience of the gospel is disclosed. And Paul urges us to become mature in that relationship. So I'm drawing a little bit of a contrast here because it's just so natural for any of us to say, Paul, you know, Paul is saying, Corinthians, you've got wrong ideas. You need to have better ideas and think differently. And that's the problem. That's not what Paul is saying exactly. It's true that they have wrong ideas. And he goes to great lengths to correct those ideas. But what he's saying is not just think differently. He actually says, I want you to be mature. And maturity is a relational world. It, it, word. it is impossible to become more mature simply by thinking different thoughts. Maturity is an expression of relationship. And Paul says, that's what I want to get at. So let's explore what Paul says about that. Talks about having a relationship with the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not going to go verse by verse here because Paul doesn't actually really go verse by verse in his thinking. He, it's more like an X. He kind of drives towards the center and then comes out again the other way. Um, so I want to start with uh, um, our exploration really here in verse 12 of chapter 2. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. It's interesting that Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church. He's, he's saying this to the, the people that are part of that church, as dysfunctional as they are. He's saying this is true of every person that we have received the Spirit of God. It's true of every person who has responded to God's gracious invitation to put their trust in him. Every person who has put their trust in the Messiah has the Spirit of God. Jesus goes to great length, actually, to say this, especially in the Gospel of John, where he tells Nicodemus, we are born of the Spirit. In fact, he says it this way, we who are born, uh, we who are born of the Spirit are spirit. John 3, 5. Here's the way that Paul says it in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. I love this verse. God saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So this isn't just a little additional feature. It's a regenerative, creative, renewing, rebirthing. Paul says you're new creations in Christ Jesus. Still, I find it that it's often uncommon for us to think of ourselves as spiritual people in this sense. To say that we are spiritual in this way, in the way that Jesus and Paul describes it, means that the part of us that knows ourselves as ourselves, Paul says, 
the spirit that knows us, you know, and here he says, the spirit of God knows the mind of God. Human spirits know the mind of that person. What Paul is saying is that that part of us that knows ourselves as I and as me really is in relation to the spirit of God. It's not self-contained. Here's the way I could think of it. When I think of Steve Engstrom, it's not just so much I that I'm thinking of, but it's we. Paul stretches the language to its limits. He says it's I, not I, but Christ in me. We're different. And Paul says that if we're going to mature, we have to focus our attention on that inner relationship that is now part of our constitution. I mean, the I, not I, but Christ in me, that's Steve Engstrom. The Holy Spirit bearing witness with my spirit, that's Steve Engstrom. The Holy Spirit crying out in me, Abba, Father, that's Steve Engstrom. And that's true of each one of us. And I need to learn that. I need to mature in that reality in the same way that I mature in every human relationship. Paul says that we're new sorts of people. We have the mind of Christ. We're God's temple. God's spirit dwells in us. He says, we are Christ and Christ is God's. So the, the power of that statement is when, when he says we are Christ, doesn't just simply mean, oh, we're, we, we kind of belong to him. We're Christ's in the same way that Christ is God's. It's the nature of a relationship. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So when we think of ourselves, let's think of ourselves in this way. I, not I, but Christ. So while it's true that we all have this identity in Christ, that doesn't mean that we're all mature in it. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians there. This is true of you, but it doesn't mean that they're mature in it. Paul wants to impart this wisdom to the Corinthians. He wants to do that. He says in verse 6, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. But alas, they are not mature. And here Paul gives the Corinthians a healthy word of correction. You can see this in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Ouch. <laughs> That's a healthy correction going on there uh, from Pastor Paul. Um, I wanted to treat you as mature people, but I couldn't. It, you're infants. <laughs> what was it about the Corinthians that was infantile? Well, it's sourced in this lack of capacity within their Holy Spirit relationship, and you can see it. They valued rhetorical power and philosophical sophistication, a sure sign of immaturity. <laughs> I like those things. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a miss on my part. Uh, they were partisan and contentious. They were sexually unchaste, and they used their bodies primarily for self-pleasuring, too much eating and drinking. That's a result of a lack of maturity, Paul says. These behaviors, though, they make sense within that culture. Does that sound like any culture you're familiar with? 
We love sophisticated people, kind of partisan and contentious, sexually unchaste, love self-pleasuring. I, I don't know, I'm stretching and struggling to think of a culture if I can think of that kind of thing. This is what Paul calls the spirit of this world. And he says it's opposed to the spirit of God. In fact, he goes even farther in verse 14. The things of the spirit of God are folly to what he calls the natural person. And that person's not able to understand these things because they are spiritually discerned and the consequences are dire. Paul says in verse 8 that the spiritually immature are blind to God's wisdom and crucified the Lord of glory. You know, think of it that way. Think of the people who crucify Jesus as immature people. And you can see why immaturity is dangerous. Immature people hurt people. And look, we're all immature. Our maturity level, uh, you know, we're full of Swiss cheese. We've, some things are okay and there's holes in other places. But this is why we can't be ambivalent about immaturity. Immaturity hurts people. Immaturity crucified Jesus, if we want to put it in that kind of framework. Paul does not question their status in God's family, amazingly. Rather, he applies healthy correction by reminding them of who they are, pointing them back to the essential relationship, back to the personal and relational dimension of their new identity, created and sustained through the Spirit of God, the source of maturity. Now, maturity is hard in any relationship. We know that maturity is a process, right? It moves through stages all the way through life, infancy, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, eldering. So maturity, the maturity curve is lifelong, and each stage uh, has its difficult transitions. Transitions are the hardest, right? Uh, we, we know that. Uh, change is hard. You know, we know in childbirth, transitions are the most painful. It seems to just be a theme in life that when you're moving, you ever notice when a kid gets, you know, they, they're kind of okay for a while, and then all of a sudden they seem to get grumpy and cranky? Uh, that, that's often because they're now ready to push into a new phase of something, and, and, but not quite, and that's the worst. They can kind of see over the transition barrier, but they can't quite get there. They know they can stand, but they can't quite stand up yet. You know, um, they want to say something, but they can't quite get the words out. You know, that, that's stressful. We can see it in our children. We're the same way as adults. Each stage has its difficult transitions. Each stage has its bumps and bruises and traumas. We don't get it all worked out by the time we reach the, the next stage. And we know that maturity is hard work. We're all in an even work, uh, in a process of change. We're dealing with our families of origin, our sins, our failures, our weaknesses, our shame. All of that just kind of, you know, gives us some bumps and bruises. We know that the healthiest and, and most mature relationships, of course, are grounded in healthy attachments where we experience love and trust. Love, of course, is the best and the highest of bonds. But, you know, we're limited in our capacity to experience and express love. So... This process of maturity, as it works its way through life, causes us to encounter what we fear, okay? The process of maturity 
is not just simply a good process of you know moving from strength to strength. Oftentimes, as adults especially, when we hit an inflection point of challenge, we can't control our anger. We have an addiction, addictive behavior that we can't get over. Um, we're covetous, or we 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 were uh, you know uh, um, um, we we were jealous, or maybe we're deeply afraid of something. Or we want to withdraw all the time. Or we can't control our speech. You know, these are all maturity issues that we're familiar with in some version or another. And it's often in these places where, uh, where when we try to address them, we, we start to encounter a lot of challenge and, and, and a lot of fear because we're not used to what the solution looks like. We don't know what it means to get on the other side of that challenge. These are really hard things. And that's where it, things get kicked up. Our feelings of shame, our fear of being isolated or lonely, overwhelming despair. This is part of the maturity process. That's why Paul says, I don't pretend to have solutions for these things based on any sort of human-generated wisdom. See, the Corinthian church is experiencing all of these versions of immaturity. People who are immature and treating each other immaturely and they're now not able to overcome the contention and the challenge and the the dysfunction that they're experiencing that's why it's very important when paul says i preach christ and him crucified because it's jesus crucified who stands there before us in all the worst places we confront in our uneven journey. When all of a sudden our eyes open to the impossibility of our sin and our shame, our failure, our loneliness, our despair, and all the other versions of those things, it's important to know that that's where we see Jesus standing on our behalf. Paul didn't tell the Corinthian church, here's the secret to better behavior. Here are the tactics that will help you become better performers. He wants to say, because he knows he's going to give them this correction message, you're infants. And that's where Jesus Christ sits with you. He's Emmanuel, God with us, glad to be with us able to do something about the very things that we fear the most or have no power or control over. That's the whole point. He becomes our sin. He becomes our salvation. He becomes our source of power. That's why Paul says in verse 5, I don't want your faith to rest in any other source than this, the very power of God. What power is that? Paul says in Chapter 1, verse 18, it's the power to save. Chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. So in short, maturity is the result of encountering and experiencing the presence of the crucified Messiah through the Holy Spirit in the very places within us that cry out for forgiveness, affirmation, 
help, and love. The Spirit of God comprehends the thoughts of God. It's quite a rich and powerful statement Paul makes. But he also comprehends ours as well. He unites the two, God's Spirit and our spirit, in a fellowship so that our sin could flow towards the atonement and his grace could flow into our hearts to create new ways of being, new ways of thinking, new ways of being with other people. And the result, the result is glorious. The capacity to see, to hear, to imagine the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's the result. Immaturity has very little capacity to see, to hear, to imagine. Verse 9. But with the power of God in us, who knows the mind of the Spirit of God, who knows the mind of God, our eyes can see, our ears can hear. We can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Maturity is the fruit of growing in our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's where we are to put our focus. That is good news because this is not the work of trying to become better people or trying to earn God's grace or favor, but rather it's the result of experiencing the interaction of our spirit with the Spirit of God. We are not little eyes, but we are we's, I, not I, but Christ in me. So I want to leave us just with a question. What are we doing to experience and celebrate our relationship with the Spirit of God? What are we doing to feed that relationship? There are so many ways, so simple, just to, just to thank, to praise to acknowledge, to worship. Doesn't take long, doesn't take much effort just to say, Lord, I may not understand it, but I know you're in me. Um, I know your Holy Spirit is bearing witness with my spirit that I'm your child. Your Holy Spirit is calling out right now that I am a child of God. One thing I've been praying is that I know I'm an immature person in many ways. I'm just praying, Lord, help me to mature. I'm not trying to figure it out exactly. The Lord brings me <laughs> things to practice. <laughs> but just asking the question has been helpful for me to say, Lord, I'm just immature in, th in some areas in my life. And, you know, that's a conversation for me and the Lord. And he knows that. Asking for help helps. It's not something that we can do alone. This is in part what we're going to address in this year of reading Jesus gentle and lonely. Uh, lonely. Uh, Jesus gentle and lowly. I don't think he's lonely. Jesus gentle and lowly. And, and we're going to be reading, we're going to be preaching about that. We're going to be studying that in our small groups. And of course, we're going to be having our Sunday joy together experiences. And it's at the heart of what we do here every Sunday. We confess our sins to each other and to Jesus. We share the peace. We sing our praises together. We feed on Christ in our hearts and with thanksgiving. 
So let's receive Paul's words of correction to become mature in our relationships, especially the relationship with the Spirit of God. And let's receive his guidance to put our trust in Messiah Jesus, crucified, standing at the very places within us that are the worst, so that he can heal and forgive and save and restore. And let's enjoy the gift of the Spirit of God, which is ours by grace, to unwrap again and again and again. Amen.